Micah 5, starting at verse 1, says, Marshal your troops now, city of troops, for a siege laid against us, uh, sorry, for a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. But you, Bethlehem Ephathra, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labour bears a son, and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. Matthew chapter 2 says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. Thanks, Tim. Well, uh, good evening, everyone. It's good to be with you this evening as we have uh, part two of our three-week series, The Thrill of Certain Hope. Uh, Will you pray with me as we uh, come to God's Word? Father God, we uh, thank you for your Word. We ask that you give us ears to hear, minds to understand, and wills ready to respond to you as our Lord and King. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to start by asking, um, by, by talking about authority and asking what your, what's your attitude towards those in authority? See, I reckon as Australians, we, um, perhaps we have something of a kind of anti-authority uh, streak. Maybe it uh, stems from our convict um, you know, background our roots uh, as, as a convict colony. Uh, maybe it's kind of part of our egalitarian, you know, give everyone a fair go, n- uh, cut the tall poppies down to size, that kind of mindset that we're a little bit, I wonder if we're a little bit against those in authority. But then again, on the other hand, as Australians, we, we do seem to be a fairly kind of 
polite, compliant bunch who generally uh, you know, do as we're told. Uh, and we enjoy peace, we enjoy law, law and order, we're, and we're, you know, we're mostly quite accepting of those in authority over us. So, uh, and I think you'd have to say, compared to other parts of the world and, and, uh, and down throughout history, various authorities, those in authority over us are, well, mostly quite tolerable, we might say. Uh, maybe that's even a bit understated. Then again, maybe you're a bit suspicious about those in authority, maybe even cynical, And if you are a bit suspicious and cynical, you've probably got good reason to be because those in authority are actually only human. So who's to say that they're going to do any better at at running things than than you or I would be or the next person? Uh, Our cynicism can also be fuelled by the track record of human history and what happens when people in authority are given power. Uh, See, one of the great things about a democratic system of government such as our own is that it limits power. Uh, It prevents people from, any individual from having too much power and authority to actually do things, uh, which can mean that democracies can at times be terribly inefficient and ineffective at actually getting anything done. Um, As Winston Churchill, great British Prime Minister, said, democracy is the worst form of government, except for all the others that have been tried. I think that kind of captures it pretty well. Um, Democracy does limit the power that is given to any one individual. You might say that it has built into it a healthy cynicism of those in authority. But I reckon when it comes down to it, despite our various tendencies this way or that, I, I think we're probably mostly glad that those in authority are there. You know, the, the police force, the, the legal system various governments, we're we're generally glad that they're there, just as long as they mostly leave us alone to to do our own thing. I reckon that kind of captures something of an Australian attitude towards authority. We're we're kind of glad they're there, but we don't really want to have someone in authority over us. We like to think that, well, we're largely autonomous, self-determining, self-sufficient individuals. What's your attitude towards authority. And where does that sit with us when it comes to to God? Uh, How does our tendency towards sort of anti-authority, slightly rebellious, self-sufficient, individualistic mindset, how does that go when, when God walks into the room? Are we mostly kind of glad that he's there just as long as he leaves us alone to do our own thing? How does God fit with our tendency and inclination to be largely autonomous and self-sufficient, self-determining individuals? How do we respond to the presence of God, the presence of his authority, the, the presence of a king? I wonder if our attitude towards authority, towards God's authority, I wonder if it needs changing, maybe um. Maybe informing better, maybe challenging, maybe correcting, as I hope that may happen tonight as we have a look at God's Word in Matthew chapter 2. Last week, we saw the hope of the Saviour as Matthew uh, records the angel's announcement that Jesus will, will save his people from their sins. This week, we see the hope of the King as the next part of Matthew's account unpacks the significance of the coming of this baby Jesus. Now, interestingly, Matthew doesn't say much about the actual uh, the birth of Jesus. Uh, he doesn't record the, 
the journey to Jerusalem on the donkey or the cart or whatever it was. We're actually not told whether it was a donkey or a cart, but they did travel to Jerusalem. But we're not told that in Matthew. We're not told about the lack of the guest room or the manger or the shepherds. All that stuff's in Luke's account. But Matthew just says there in 1 verse 25, she, that is Mary, gave birth to a son and he, Joseph, gave him the name Jesus. Uh, next verse, we're given two more details. Firstly, it says that, um, that he was born in Bethlehem in Judea. And secondly, that this happened during the time of King Herod. Now, these are the, the two kind of relevant details to set the context for what Matthew records next, which is the coming of the Magi. Whoops, there it is. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, these, are, these Magi are somewhat um, mysterious figures. Uh, we don't know much about them other than what we can glean from these few verses in Matthew's gospel. Um, the word Magi is just... Um, it's a transliteration of the Greek word magoi, uh, could mean magician, astrologer, um, traditionally thought to be wise man, maybe that's because, um, well, these guys must have been wise to work out that a king had been born. Um, we are told that they're from the east, which is a fairly imprecise location, um, but it means that at least they were probably foreigners to Israel. Uh, the other thing to notice about it um, is, is how many there were or how many there may have been because we don't actually know how many there were. Traditionally, we think that there were three, um, probably because of the carol, We Three Kings. Um, come along next Saturday night for a fantastic rendition of We Three Kings, <laughs> except for one of the kings. He's pretty dodgy, but um, that's all right. Um, we Three Kings, maybe that's why we think there were three of them. Uh, maybe it's because there were three gifts and we kind of think, well, it's kind of neat if you know, they carried one each. But maybe, they were, maybe the gold was really heavy and it needed two of them to carry. Maybe there were four kings. Maybe there were two. Maybe there were 20. We don't know how many magi, not kings, um, there were. We're not told, which actually means, of course, it doesn't matter. We don't need to know. What we are told is that they saw a star when it rose and that was a sign that one had been born king of the Jews. We might wonder how they made that connection. Maybe they had some sort of revelation that, uh, that connected this star with the, the birth of the king. At any rate, however they came to that conclusion, they were on the money. They were right. A king had been born. So they're searching for a king, the king of the Jews. Naturally, they go to Jerusalem, the, the capital of Judea. And they ask, verse 2, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews. Uh, the question is firstly posed to, to Jerusalem. You can imagine, you know, were they wandering the streets asking, you know, random people, have you, do you know where the king of the Jews is? Do you know where the king of the Jews is? Uh, but eventually this question comes to Herod. When Herod heard of this, verse 3, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Herod's response was he's disturbed, troubled. This suggestion that a, a new king had been born was deeply, was troubling, was disturbing to him. Uh, we know from Herod's later response in, in chapter 2 that in his mind, this news of a new king, that posed a, a real threat to him and his, uh, his rule. 
a threat that he must remove, and so he would seek to, to kill this child, which seems pretty, um, pretty harsh and heavy-handed, but that was Herod. That's, that's true to form of what we know of him from other historical sources. In fact, Herod was so suspicious of any possible threat to his throne that he, he arranged for many of his own relatives, including some of his wives and sons, to be murdered so as to secure his position. Murderous paranoia. That's how you could describe King Herod. He was disturbed and troubled. And notice it says all Jerusalem with him were disturbed. Were they maybe fearful of a a volatile response from King Herod? Uh, Maybe they were disturbed at the prospect of a change in leadership. At any rate, this was big news that had impacted the whole city of Jerusalem. The question posed by the Magi is, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? And the answer to the the question comes through Herod as he gathers together the people's chief priests and teachers of the law. There we are. And he asks them where the Messiah was to be born. Now, notice there, Herod um, had an, an expectation of, some sort of expectation of a coming Messiah, of a, a Christ. Both words mean king. Uh, he knew enough to know that, uh, that the, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, they would, they would know more of this expectation, which they did. They knew their Old Testament scriptures. They, they were able to answer, quoting from the prophet Micah. And so they answered Herod, verse 5, they said, in, in Bethlehem, in Judea. They're bang on the money. This is the same phrase Matthew used in verse 1, in Bethlehem, in Judea. They have the right answer. And they show how the, the Old Testament prophets pointed towards this. They, it continues, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now, there's many places they could have gone to in the Old Testament to speak of the coming of of a king, of a Messiah, Christ. But Micah 5, which they quote, gives the the location. It connects Bethlehem to the birth of this king. Micah spoke during a dark time for God's people. Uh, The leaders of Israel were, were failing terribly. And God promised that he would bring out of Bethlehem one who would be ruler over his people. One who, in the words of Micah, will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. So God promised that this this ruler would come. He promised that through Micah, one who would be truly great, one who would, notice, be like a shepherd for his people. Now, do we have any sheep farmers amongst us? Has anyone got any sheep at home? Anyone? Yeah, you got sheep. Oh, I thought there'd be someone. Thanks, Cooper. How many sheep do you have? Fifteen. That, that, that qualifies you as a sheep farmer, I'm sure. Um, now, none of us, the rest of us are sheep farmers, but we don't have to become sheep farmers in order to re- understand the Bible, thankfully. We just need to be Bible readers to understand the Bible uh, because the Bible itself kind of explains this image for us. Uh, other parts, are, um, such as uh, Ezekiel 34, is, is one good example. It says this about the shepherds of Israel, the leaders of God's people. 
God spoke through it, Ezekiel, and he said this. He said, Woe to you, shepherds of Israel. He's talking about the leaders. You who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourself with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You've not strengthened the weak, or healed the sick, or bound up the injured. You've not brought back the strays, or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched or looked for them. God paints this picture of, of failed leadership, of these self-serving rulers who exploit and destroy and neglect the people for their own gain. God speaks and he says that he's going to get rid of these leaders Continues, he says, Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, because my flock lacks a shepherd and so has been plundered and has become food for all the wild animals, because my shepherds did not search for my flock but cared for, for themselves rather than for my flock. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. You know, see how God sort of repeats it over and over again to make sure they get the point. He says, This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths and it will no longer be food for them. The Lord says he's going to remove these leaders and will himself come and be a shepherd. He says, For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. Later on, verse 23 of Ezekiel 34, he says, I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. The Lord, I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. So God gave this promise through Ezekiel that he would one day come to his people. In a context of this failed leadership of Israel, that he would come and he would place over them David, one like David, a ruler and shepherd. This is what they needed. And friends, this is what we need. Uh, we may rightly have a healthy realism or cynicism of those in authority because they're sinful people just like you and me, just like Herod, just like the failed leaders of Israel. But that doesn't mean that we should live with no leadership. No, we need a ruler. We need a shepherd. We need the ruler and shepherd that God has provided. The one that he has sent. The one of whom it, say, it says later in Matthew 9, 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. We need the one who came to us with compassion, who came as the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep, for you and for me. Such is this shepherd's love and care for us. Jesus came as this shepherd. But as the shepherd, he is, well, he is also the ruler. He is the king. He is the one in authority. And so to think through, well, the implications of this for us, let, let me return to my opening question, which is, what's your attitude towards authority? 
And, and how do you respond when, when God walks into the, rule, into the room, so to speak, or, or perhaps put better, when, when you realise God's in the room because he's always been here? I think there's a few responses in this passage that we can learn from. Uh, firstly, there's, and you notice if you get on the handout, um, Dan will get excited because there's little fill in the gaps. Um, you can fill in that. Here's, here's three responses we see in this passage. Firstly, there's, there's veiled opposition. The veiled opposition of Herod. See, Herod says that he wants to find the child. Verse 7, Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. He pretends to be eager to to go and worship the newborn king. He, He feigns submission to this new king while secretly planning to kill him, as we read on to discover. I think Herod represents a a fairly extreme, exaggerated version of, well, really a common response to King Jesus. There's outward signs of acknowledging him as Lord and King, but inwardly, and in reality, his, his rule is denied, it's opposed What's your attitude to Jesus' authority? Is it veiled opposition? Secondly, there's um, informed indifference. The informed indifference of the chief priests and the teachers of the law. These guys know their Bibles. They have the correct answers. They know where to look for God's appointed king. They've read the prophecies about Bethlehem. But when they hear the Magi say that this king is, is actually has actually arrived, they're seemingly unmoved. They, they, they don't rush off to find him and worship him. And in fact, in the end, as we read on, we discover these are the same people who end up opposing Jesus and denying him as king. To know the truth of, of Jesus' authority, but to remain indifferent, is in the end to, to deny him as king. As Jesus later said, whoever is not with me is against me. I hope none of us will respond with informed indifference. But then thirdly, there's the Magi, these these strange stargazing wise men from the East. Uh, What an example to us they are. See, their, their driving motivation is to find King Jesus and to worship him. They go to great lengths. I mean, we're not told exactly how far they travelled, but as likely it was, it was some distance. They pursued this, this central goal of finding this king and worshipping this new king. Uh, even though it, it ruffled feathers, even though it disturbed a powerful ruler like Herod, they, they saw the significance of this, the arrival of this ruler and they sought to acknowledge and worship him above all else. So what's your attitude to Jesus' authority? In the end, it will be seen in in your actions, in my actions, in in whether we seek to live under his rule, whether we seek to live the way that he wants us to. If, If he's ruler and shepherd, well, that means he's in charge of our lives. That means he's got the steering wheel in our life, so to speak. We'll we'll seek to to listen to him, to to obey him, to worship him. Of course, none of us will do that perfectly. We're all fallen 
sinful people and praise God he is gracious he is compassionate and Jesus is the shepherd who has laid down his life for us to bring us forgiveness to bring us restoration to to call us to press on to live with him as our king and wonderfully doing that is is not an oppressive burden as it would be if uh, Jesus was a, a tyrant like so many other kings now obedience to him is actually where freedom is found it's where we find ourselves living the way that our creator God made us to be. Christmas brings the thrill of hope. Hope of the saviour who will save us from our sins and hope of the king who will lead us and shepherd us as his people. So I hope and pray that we will not respond with veiled opposition or with informed indifference but that we would rejoice this Christmas in the gift of the perfect King, our ruler and shepherd, and that we would live to worship him. Amen.